Amen. Please be seated. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah 58. I have uh, the passage on the insert with an outline also there. Our focus this morning will be on the last two verses. I do have a few verses before to give us the context once again to remind all of us uh, where we are in this Gospel of Isaiah. We return to 58, the last two verses. Uh, These verses come in a section uh, where Isaiah is calling upon Judah uh, to come out of or snap out of their self-focus. They are self-absorbed. That's really what has landed them in the place of discipline they found themselves. Um, Babylon encroaching, they were racing around trying to find alliances and allegiances with other city-states or smaller nations to buy time or gain favor with Babylon uh, to the point where they were doing things like worshiping uh, other gods in high places in the mountains, little shrines set up for this purpose. Uh, They were, in fact, doing things as as awful as uh, worshiping trees and rocks and even sacrificing some of their own children in this light, uh, according to the gods of those places in Canaan. Their heart for worship was far from God, yet they were practicing fasts in order to gain Jehovah's favor. So while worshiping other gods, they paused to fast so that the real God would give them something. And so God responds by telling them, this is not the fast that he wants. He wants them to fast from themselves, fast from their self-worship and their self-focus. That's the context of this. And he tells them as a remedy that they should serve other people. They should look to those who are in need and meet those needs. That would take their eyes off themselves. You see, that's a fast from what they were doing. So that's the fast he wanted. Take a break from yourselves and think of others and be my hands and feet to them is essentially what Jehovah tells them. Now I want to begin with verse 10 in our scripture reading this morning, Isaiah 58. This will set up the context because the last two verses present another way for them to stop being so self-absorbed. One was to serve other people. The next one would be to take a Sabbath rest. Starting at verse 10. God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. And make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father." For the mouth of the Lord 
has spoken. Please bow with me as I lead us in prayer. Lord, we pause on this day to contemplate our rest in Christ and to actually rest from our weekly routines, our weekly labors. Lord, we are often a frenzied people, stretched thin, trying to cram too much into a short period of time. Thank you for this day of rest and gladness. As we sing praise to you, we wait upon your word, as we feast upon your supper and fellowship with one another, may this be a genuine foretasting of our eternal rest in you through Christ. Amen. It was the brilliant mathematician, philosopher, and even theologian, Blaise Pascal, who noted, who observed in a day that was a lot slower than ours, all the unhappiness of men arises from one simple fact, that they cannot sit quietly in their chamber. The origin of the Hebrew word Sabbath is somewhat uncertain, although it seems to be uh, derived from the verb sabbat, which means to stop or to cease or to keep. The root meaning shows <clears throat> that a Sabbath day means a day of ceasing or a Sabbath period, a, a period of desisting in whatever the normal activities would be. It's a day of rest from that which was being done in the other days of the week. Hymn writer Christopher Wordsworth, who is the nephew of Williams Wordsworth, the great poet, in the early 1800s wrote a hymn that we sing Sunday nights often. The, the tune in our hymnal isn't the most singable. That's why we don't sing it as much in the morning. Wordsworth says this, and he's singing about the day of rest. O day of rest and gladness, O day of joy and light, O balm for care and sadness, most beautiful, most bright. On you, the high and lowly, through ages joined in tune, sing holy, holy, holy to the great God triune. Now often when there is a sermon on Sabbath rest or the Sabbath, especially in Reformed churches, it, be, it tends to be negative about all the things you shouldn't do. Now there are certainly considerations there. But you're here at church. You came here. I'm not going to beat you up now for the things you do after you go to church. I just love you and I know my own self, and I'm worried you might be wearing out. And I'm worried that we have neglected the built-in remedy for that. For me too. Because I don't get any rest this day. It's a challenge for us to see how this applies. Often we just don't talk about it because it's either legalism or it doesn't count today. This is a creation mandate. This isn't just about the law of Moses. It's very practical. And when we see it in light of what we're studying in Isaiah, it makes even more sense as to why he was telling them to do this. See, when we obey God, blessings come from those. He doesn't make up rules in order just to kind of be a killjoy so that you can't have the fun everybody else is having. Uh, he does it because he made us, designed us, knows exactly what we need to do to experience true delight. Um, you know how it is when you are a parent and you make up rules for your kids and they are, con they are convinced that you are there to make their life miserable. 
And, and your job is, is to help them grow. So enjoyment of God's fatherly blessings comes through obedience. The second verse in that hymn by Wordsworth is talking about the Sabbath day, the day that Christians observe on Sunday. Thou art a port protected from storms that round us rise. We come to this place for that. We think of this day as that. A garden intersected with streams of paradise. Thou art a cooling fountain in life's dry and dreary sand. Like thee, like Pisgah's mountain, we view our promised land. From here, we look forward to final rest. And by the way, rest does not mean do nothing. It just means we cease from our normal work and routine. Now, let's go to the text and see what's happening and then make the connection to our times today as believers. Now, the first verses in the chapter that I preached on two weeks ago, if you haven't heard that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because it sets the whole stage for this. But the first 12 verses is basically God calling them out on their self-absorption. They are basically um, abusing people around them for their own freedoms and liberties. Then they want God to do something for them, as I alluded to in the introduction, um, and they, they fast, and then in their fast they even end up fighting each other because they're hungry and irritable. I mean, it's a big mess. Um, we're aware of this sin of self-absorption. They're grasping at alliances. They were, they were worshiping other gods, and then they were keeping a little Jehovah worship in the mix, and they wanted something from God. So back at verse 3 of chapter 58, they say to God, and because God's not giving them what they want, uh, why have we fasted and, see you not, and, and you see it not? Why aren't you acknowledging this fast? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? They wanted God to serve them by their fasting. They were self-focused. They were looking for self-satisfaction. They were really self-worshipping. God responds in verse 3 of 58, Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. You're so focused on yourself, you're, you're taking a fast, but your workers are still working. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day? will not make your voice be heard on high. He, he sees through their fake and false worship, their outward actions that are not uh, truly reflective of inward devotion to Jehovah. And then he says in verse 5, Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth? They made up this fast. It's not even the one he prescribed because the one he prescribes in the Old Testament is the Day of Atonement. They made up one with sackcloth and ashes and, and made themselves hold their head in a certain way. And he's saying, That's, I didn't call for this. Verse 6, this is what I want from you. Verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? You see, he's saying, I want you to take a fast from yourself in the way you could do this. This is how God does it. He helps us do the right thing by giving us the instructions. Go help other people that need it. That will take your eyes off of you. It will make you care for others. It will make you appreciate God more. It does all sorts of things. And it is effectively, for them, a fast, a fast from themselves. 
When we obey, we experience blessing. That's the way of God's commands. Through selflessness, we actually receive God's exaltation. When we humble ourselves, he actually lifts us up. Back in Isaiah 57, verse 15, listen to what it says. Be reminded. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. It's so easy to be trapped in self-absorption self-satisfaction, to concentrate only on those things that are about us in our happiness. Uh, even family absor- self-absorption can happen. We kind of justify it by saying, well, it's all about my family or all about what I'm doing, and, and we act as though um, that's, that's an alternative that's okay uh, outside of what God calls us to. So the prophet, as God's mouthpiece, challenges the people to take a fast from the self and, and give to others. And he has planned a safeguard against self-absorption that the last two verses conclude with. It's, it's a built-in safeguard that also serves to focus our devotion and our worship on God. Sabbath practice. Sabbath practice as a way of self-forgetfulness. Serving others does it, but also taking one day in seven to focus on our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with the Lord's people, a break from the things we do normally that takes our eyes off self and it actually works to refresh. That's the built-in purpose. Look at verse 13 and verse 14 now of the text in our focus this morning. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, now to make clear, he's saying if you take your foot off the Sabbath, if you stop stomping on the Sabbath, if you stop abusing the Sabbath, that's what the, the figure of speech means. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, don't dread it. Love this. Love this break, this rest, this focus, this refocus, this refreshment, this recreation. Call this a delight. And the holy day of the Lord, and call the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly. Now, the immediate understanding of the the Israelite at this point would have been Moses' law. But understand, it didn't just come from that. It predates that. But they would have thought immediately of what is told through Moses. When he says, remember the Sabbath day in Exodus chapter 20, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall do your labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you, will, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now the Sabbath practice under Moses Um, was modeled, as we see in the text of Exodus itself, it was modeled after something built into creation. Built into creation even before the fall of mankind. Something you could say was built into the design of humankind. And it has multiple reasons and blessings for why. 
cease to work in one day or cease your normal activities, your activities that are trying to earn your living or keep yourself alive in these days, cease that. It's a statement of faith in God that he'll provide it. It's a statement that um, we honor what God tells us to do, and in so doing, we receive the blessing. But the Sabbath principle wasn't invented here just for Israel. It was a picture of God's creation rhythm. Back in Genesis chapter 2, again, before sin enters. Chapter 2, the first few verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Man is the apex of creation, created on day six. But he's not the climax of creation. The climax of creation is not man. It's the seventh day, or it's the time that God rests. It's the glory of God on showcase as the creator stops from his work now. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Before Moses, there was one day in seven set apart as holy. The Sabbath principle is connected to a creation ordinance. It's not just tied with Moses' explanation in the Ten Commandments. It's something else, as you notice in the Genesis account, and you can think back of your knowledge of that story. Um, All the other days are framed with there was morning and there was evening the first day. There was morning and there was evening the second day. There was no final framing of the seventh day. The rest is not just for God. He leaves it open. He's open for mankind to enter and to share. Now the fall, sin comes in, and it spoils man's ability to enjoy rest and fullness. We cannot experience full rest and what that means until glory, until paradise is restored. But in Christ, we are able to taste that rest And that gives a whole new meaning to this day of rest and gladness. Before the Ten Commandments, we were told, or we read in Scripture, Exodus 16. This is before the Ten Commandments are given. When the manna was coming down from heaven, and they were collecting up the manna, and God was showing his his literally hand-to-mouth provision for them with the food that spoiled, so they had to keep picking it up. But in Exodus 16, notice how this occurs. On the sixth day, they gather twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. This is before the fourth commandment's given. You see, it's a creation mandate that's built in There's a rhythm about taking a break one day and working for six days. So, before we get into the list of the things you do or don't do on the Sabbath, just know that you're going to break down if you don't take a Sabbath. You're not designed to run at full tilt seven days a week. You are not. God did not make you that way, and don't blame him if you break down for it. He gave you a day. You say, well, I have to work this. No, you don't. Because God provides everything you got in those other six days, even the ability to work. So you can take a day off and trust God to provide what you need in that time. Now, there are works of necessity. 
You have to have someone at the ER. There are people that have to do work. Um, they have to take a Sabbath, though, because they'll break down too. It's, it's a principle that I want to see rather than something we get defensive about. Don't tell me I can't do I'd say anything like that. What I said is I, I promise you'll break down if you keep going at a pace that does not observe how you're created. And not because I say so, but because the creator built in this. There's a lot of difficulty, I realize, that people have when they try to pinpoint how it is we should practice this today. But if you think of what's happening now in Judah's time, just contextualize that for a moment. Um, They are receiving this um, admonition, if you will, from God through the prophet about their need to honor the Sabbath. Because if they would do that, if they would stop their striving and stop their, their normal operations on that day, they would be completely different from the other nations. It's a real identifying feature of Israel that they would do this. There are other things they, they did that other religions around the world practiced. They had, other religions had their temples. They even had circumcision. Um, and those things aren't things that are as obvious. But stopping from your work on a day that's an agrarian society where you need every day to work to try to make ends meet to live, that's a big statement. It's a statement of faith. And so... The people who are self-absorbed are trying to fast to get God to give them something. God's saying, help other people and take this day, honor it, call it holy. And if you do, I will bless you. I will make you, I will make you a witness. Wordsworth, who I mentioned earlier in his great hymn, O Day of Rest and Gladness, points to how this day switched. And this is one of those big mysteries, kind of, it is honestly one of those mysterious things, how it is that without much discussion, you went from the seventh day, the the Saturday observation to Sunday. Um, Jesus was raised on Sunday, and so that's the day the church started to gather, and the church being an amalgamation of Jews and Gentiles that's the day they started to commemorate his resurrection. Now, his resurrection um, would be compared in early literature. Um, in the sixth day, uh, you would have the creation of light. In this idea that Jesus is raised, uh, on the, he is raised as the, the light of the world. And there's all these different attempts to make to kind of explain how this happened. We don't know exactly. We just know that the church started meeting on Sunday and started practicing it as their day of worship, as their day of rest, as their day of being refreshed. Not with identical features to the Jewish Sabbath as it was told in the, in the fourth commandment, but clearly with observation about the need in creation to rest from. And we could see that for sure across all sorts of opinions on this. And Wordsworth in his hymn says, on you, he's talking about the day of rest, On you at earth's creation, the light first had its birth. That's day one. On you for our salvation, Christ rose from depths of earth. So the first day, light, the Lord says, let there be light. And then on the first day, Jesus rises again. Wordsworth captures that in his hymn very interestingly. Christ rose from depths of earth. On you, our Lord victorious, sent spirit forth from heaven. And thus on you, most glorious, a threefold light was given. Then on the day of Pentecost is the first day of the week as well when the Holy Spirit comes. So for many reasons, Sunday switched to be that day of gathering, of worship, of rest. And since the early church, we have observed that. Now, Christians have disagreed with what the Sabbath means for today. 
Some say it has no connection to the Christian church because it was for Israel. Again, it predates Israel. This is a creation mandate, a creation principle. Some say it it was completely fulfilled in Christ and so takes on a different form today. We've already acknowledged that there is a different day that is noted. Some say it should be observed just as it was in Moses' day as the Israelites did. That's even where Seventh-day Adventists come from. Some say that it should only be observed on Saturday. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, if you think about this, when a person says, we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore, often what it means, what they're saying, they're just trying to justify doing whatever they want on that day. I want to do this, this, and this, I've got these things scheduled, and, I, and so, I don't, so I can because it doesn't count, and that, it's kind of used to justify it. And isn't that at least a little bit a seed of the same kind of attitude that they had in Judah when they said, we're going to do what we want. We want to do what we want. We're doing our own pleasure. Isn't that a little bit, isn't that starting to hedge into that a bit? Can we not acknowledge that for all the discussion and debate among Christians across traditions, um, what isn't really argued is that there is a Sabbath principle. And if we don't follow it, if we don't keep it, it's going to break, we're going to break down. And it's not just that we'll break down because of our physical makeup needing rest, but our spiritual makeup needs to honor God. Uh, we're made to worship him. If we don't worship him, uh, we'll get dry. Um, we'll get numb. Uh, we, if we could fall into sin if we're not regularly having these ch- checkpoints, these refreshments, these times of, of being renewed by God's Spirit. You see, the enjoyment of God's fatherly blessings comes through obedience. Whatever your actual take on the particulars of the, particulars of the Sabbath, we all ought to recognize the blessings that come from this delight this Sabbath delight. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Whatever the case, the issue at the heart of the matter is twofold. We are created with a built-in work-rest nature. Rest or a ceasing from our usual routine is valuable to our physical and mental health. Also, we are to take our eyes off ourselves and our satisfaction for one day a week and focus on God, spend time with his people, be renewed by his word, be renewed by his means of grace. The Israelites were so self-absorbed that they forgot God. They ignored those who were hurting because they were focused on self If they would have been honoring the Sabbath, we might say that they would have continually been safeguarded against their self-absorption and would have recognized the people who needed their help. In this way, practicing the Sabbath is an exercise in self-forgetfulness, taking focus off self, a break from the usual routine, and a break from activities. A break from work, a break from self-stuff, come to the church to be with others, come worship God, fellowship with each other in Christ, Focus on what God has done for us in Christ and give him the praise for it. In the company of other people who agree with that praise, rest in Christ afresh. Focus on the day as the Lord's day. Focus on a time of worship, a time of delight, a time of real pleasure. Opening or obeying God's commands actually turns to delight. It's an interesting thing. We seek self-satisfaction or self-focused things because we think that we'll get pleasure from it, and then we don't. We practice self-forgetfulness through serving others, 
in resting on this day and focusing on the Lord, and we actually get delight. B.B. Warfield, the great Princeton theologian, said the Sabbath is undoubtedly rooted in nature, in our human nature and in the nature of the created universe. Unbroken toil is not good for us. The recurrence of a day of rest is of an advantage to us, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Finally, it leads us to verse 14. Verse 14 is what comes from this day of rest, this observation, this practice. Then, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So you'll have delight, you'll have pleasure in the Lord, which is the ultimate lasting pleasure. He'll lift us up. He'll make us ride in the heights of the earth. We'll we'll be exalted in it. We'll be lifted up from our weariness, from our tiredness. We'll be lifted up. We'll be able to fly. And that's like on the wings of eagles, as it says earlier in chapter 40. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, that, that great heritage of promises to the patriarchs about what God would do with his people will come true as we focus our devotion on God by ceasing, by resting, And this isn't just something that someone might mistake Isaiah saying off the cuff or outside of something he's saying as a prophet. No, to be very clear, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The enjoyment of God's fatherly blessings comes through obedience. For believers who are renewed by the Holy Spirit, this life that you are living is a foretaste of the one to come. Rest or relief from striving is the very very thing the Israelites were seeking, but they were not finding. They They were trying to rest from their enemies, and so they were racing around cutting deals and compromising their relationship with Jehovah just so they could rest from their enemies. They wanted rest. In fact, the author of Hebrews, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 3, or you can listen, but Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 gives us I think, the complete picture on how to view Sabbath rest. The author of Hebrews is describing how Jesus finally brings rest. But the language he uses in chapter 3, starting at verse 7, is very, very familiar, certainly to the Hebrews who were hearing it, the Jews who first received this, the Jewish Christians that first got this letter or this sermon letter, but also to us as we've been studying Isaiah. He says in Hebrews 3, verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So associated with unrest or restlessness is not being able to rest in the land for the Israelites. It's it's a picture, though. It's a metaphor of something bigger. Down to verse 16 of chapter 3. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom has he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. 
So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Part of what the day of rest does for you is it bolsters your belief. You receive the means of grace, you grow in your faith. That helps you trust in the gospel more. So you need these checkpoints. And as you believe, you enter ultimately the rest that is to come. It, it maintains your sense of belongingness to God because you come and check each week with the gospel again and with other people who believe the gospel. Even the issues we've dealt with during the week, we bring to each other and it's, it's a pause from the rest of the stuff. It's bring it here and then you go to your homes and you do things different on this day. It's set apart. It's a great time for you to spend with your family to do things that are just different than the normal routine. You're not rat racing all around. There's just some bit of calmness. Even if only for a portion of time that you can set it apart, do it and it will renew you and that you won't fall into what it says here when they could not enter because of unbelief. Now Hebrews 4, the first several verses. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. Verse 3 of Hebrews 4. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, this passage he said, in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Uh, we get to hear that every Lord's Day. Do not harden your hearts. Hear the gospel. See the gospel. Believe on it afresh. Verse 8 of Hebrews 4. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Do you see what he's saying? Okay, if you rest in God, you rest from your works. And now what he's talking about something else. You rest from the things that you're striving to do that you think will make God love you. You can rest from that because in Christ you rest in him and now you have real rest. So this day of rest and gladness isn't just about us being refreshed. It's about us having a foretaste of the ultimate rest we will have with God in glory. It's much bigger than just simply a discipline that we partake in. Verse 9, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. I have a good friend who uh, said he was a Christian when he was a, a teenager. He and I were pretty close. Um, I remember sharing Christ with people with this guy. Um, lost track of him a few years ago, connected with him again, converted to Islam. And, and uh, just about every few months, we have a big, long debate about it again. It just happened two days ago. Um, we went at it for a, a long, we were texting this time, and it was for about an hour's worth. And at the end of it, I said, man, the biggest thing I noticed about you for all the debates we can have is you are restless. I mean, you are so worried about what's going to happen to you, and you should be. I, I feel for you. I love you, but you are so restless because he's resting in his works, and his works should make him anxious. And see, resting in Christ takes that, takes that anxiety, that restlessness away. We need to rest, don't we? Will this day of rest 
And this day of gladness is for that, to be refreshed, to be reminded. It's not your works. It's God's work. It's Christ's work. And if you miss too many of these, how long can you go? I mean, I need it all the time. God gives us one day in seven to rest. And there's many things that could be done in that time that refresh us in this way. In closing, the last two verses of Wordsworth's hymn, O Day of Rest and Gladness, is a blessing to listen to. Today, on weary nations, the heavenly manna falls to holy convocations, the silver trumpet calls, where gospel light is glowing with pure and radiant beams and living water flowing with soul-refreshing streams. What a beautiful picture of the Lord's day. New graces ever gaining from this our day of rest. We reach the rest remaining to spirits of the blessed. We sing to you our praises, O Father, Spirit, and Son. The church its voices upraises to you, blessed three in one. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Lord God, please show us how to slow down just one day in seven. Please refresh us physically and revive us spiritually. Lord, we confess our dependence on you for everything. By taking a turn from our normal routine today, please move our eyes from ourselves so that we might reflect on your goodness to us through Christ and in the manifold ways that you shower your blessings upon us. Lord, strengthen us through this day of rest and gladness, and I pray this in Christ, who we find as our ultimate rest. Amen. Let's respond by turning in our hymnals to 188. Let's stand and sing verse 1 and verse 2 of Jesus, I am resting, resting.